0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab episode 829 for Monday, August 17th, Happy Birthday Lease 2020. <laughs> Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where we take your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found, we mix them all together. The goal is that each and every one of us learns at least five new things by sharing those cool stuff found, by answering questions together, by just digging in and learning because it's what we like to do. We always like to do that. Uh, I'd like to thank our four sponsors for this episode. Eero.com slash MGG, Linode.com slash MGG expressvpn.com slash MGG and sunsoil.com slash MGG. We'll talk about all of those, uh, in a little more detail later on, but we, uh, but we certainly appreciate their sponsorships and appreciate you taking a look at them, whether you buy from our sponsors uh, or not is up to you as always. It's our job to let you know about them and encourage you to visit their sites so that you can learn more. That's, that's, that's our, that's our piece in it. And we appreciate your piece in it too. So thank you here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton.
1: And here in Truffle, Connecticut. This is
0: John F. How are you doing today, Mr. John F. Uh,
1: as well as can be expected.
0: That's fair. Yeah. Given, <laughs> given the state of everything, that's yeah, that's fair. Making it through. I'm glad we get to do this. That's a, uh, a fortunate thing. So yeah, it's good. It's good. I like that we get to see each other um, doing this now. For those of you that don't know that, that have only been listening to the audio stream, which is totally fine. It, we, we still record an audio show. We now just allow you to watch us record an audio show if you so choose, but it's um the, 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 the people that benefit the most from it, I think, are are you and me, John, because we get to see each other because mm-hmm. otherwise we wouldn't be getting to see each other at all these days. So it's nice. Hi. Yeah, it's yeah. good to see you, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, let's do some quick tips and see where things bring us. Shall we? We will start with listener Dale. Uh, as soon as I can organize my notes here. I get too many notes, John. Dale tells us um, Here's another thing that allows you to use your phone to scan. We've talked about the files app scanning in your phone and you can certainly do that. Uh Dale reminds us, you can open notes on your phone, choose the camera and scan documents. Then you can email or whatever you want from the notes app. So, yep, thanks Dale. Let's I I love it, you know, the the timing of this worked out great because my Hewlett Packard multifunction laser printer fax scanner uh, the software for it became obsoleted by Catalina. It's 32-bit only. HP has not made scanner software for uh, for Catalina for that device. None of the third-party stuff works. But, you know, I keep thinking, well, at some point, I, then I got to replace it. But I love the laser printer part of it. I love the fax part of it when I need to do that. And um, and it can copy things, which is super handy. And uh, quite frankly, iOS 13 with its, you know, sort of built in scanning functionality has all so far completely mitigated that uh, I will be doing my personal taxes uh, come, you know, like in the next month or so, because that's it's time uh, because well, you always file an extension because the businesses and all that stuff. But um, and that's where I wind up. That's my biggest like single scanning moment of the year. Uh, in terms of that, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not worried about it this year. I, I think it'll be fine. I mean, I've scanned entire now, books for shows with the iPhone. So yeah,
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Mr. Right now, yes. I haven't tried this. I don't know if you have, but will notes on Mac OS also import from.
0: Oh, you know, I think I tried this. I think it'll. From the iOS s- camera, you mean.
1: Uh, or a. Or the built-in camera. I, I don't know if I've ever tried using the built-in FaceTime one, which isn't that great. Right? No,
0: I don't think it'll scan from there. But it probably will let you use continuity to or whatever. whatever to right, check out, okay. Right, to, to use your phone to pull it in. Because you can do that in mail, and I think notes will do the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But that's a good question. Now, I don't think it'll scan, like, if you hold it up in front of your Mac or whatever. But I quite frankly, I haven't tried it. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Let us know if you know feedback at com. We'd love to hear.
1: Did you say feedback at mackeep.com?
0: I uh I did. Yeah. I said feedback oh, at com. That's uh we you know not just tips and 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 uh follow-ups but also your questions. That's where you send them. All right. Um let's go to Todd who says uh, I don't know how I missed this for so long, but I just discovered right clicking on a tab in Safari and also in Chrome and selecting duplicate, duplicate tab. He says, I've always command clicked a link to open it in another tab, but sometimes that does not work. Right, Right clicking the tab to duplicate it Really solves the problem. When I edit a WordPress site, I often log in and duplicate the resulting tab three times. Then I can open the media page in one tab, edit page on another, etc. It's true. There are some things where even if you command-click on a link, it still opens in that same tab, depending on how the JavaScript works for that particular link. So that's a handy thing. I, you know, so I've got two things that um, I'm already I'm, I'm two fifths of the way there, John. It's going to be a short episode right cuz we just stop when we hit the the five <laughs> no we don't we keep trucking right right do you want to
1: have three different views on the same wordpress page i never thought of
0: doing that um hmm. n- not so much the same page but the same back end hmm. yeah like when i'm in our mac observer back end i i will do i will often have you know like maybe the updates page open like he said the media tab so i can look through and and find pictures an edit tab. I might have a preview page open. So yeah, I mean, but not the same. I don't think it would work to have the same edit page open. I think that would actually kind of confuse the browser or WordPress or both, but yeah, pretty good. Any more on that one before we truck along here, John? Nope. Okay. Uh, Juan says I was using Apple to pay Apple pay. Easy for you to say to purchase some stuff via Safari on my Mac. And for whatever reason, I kept getting an error message on my watch that I couldn't, that it couldn't connect to the Internet. Uh, and therefore, I could not complete the transaction. He says, I didn't know what to do next, as I didn't see any obvious way not to ask my watch to be the thing that verifies the payment. Until I clicked on the credit card drop down list on my Mac. That's where I was able to choose a credit card from my phone instead of my watch and authenticate on my phone. Yeah. Pretty good one. That's that's yeah. Apple pay on the Mac is great where it gets even better is when your Mac has a T2 chip in it or a fingerprint reader and you can do it all on your Mac too. That's, you know, that's like the next step, but you're right. Yeah. It totally works fine from your phone too. Yeah. Thoughts on that one, Mr. Braun? Okay.
1: Yeah. I think I did that with my old. Uh, Yeah. Because of course now, yeah, I have Apple pay on my new MacBook, but, uh, when I didn't. Yeah. It was, it was interesting to, you know, I was like, well, I want to buy this using Apple pay. Why like, sure. can't I? And then I looked over my phone and my phone was like, Hey, you know, you,
0: you want to buy something, you know, put,
1: put your finger here. So do
0: do this. Yeah, exactly. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah. You can face ID or touch ID on the phone and, and then authenticate that way. So mm-hmm. John, I've been, um, I, I stumbled on my own quick tip this week. I, uh, was deleting some big files. Actually, the, the video files of like I record every episode locally here, even though we stream it to YouTube and Facebook. I record a, a video copy here and I wasn't being smart, first of all. And I was recording it in like super pro res video, Apple format, which meant I had like these 60 gigabyte files. This week I'm recording it as like H.265 HEVC. So it'll be way, way, way smaller. But anyway, you know, I have to prune through those and delete them every now and then. And I realized, well, even just deleting them, I still then need to empty them from my trash, but I don't want to empty other things from my trash. So it's like, I know clean my Mac can do this, but there's got to be a way. And so I looked in my trash can and I right clicked on one of these big Mondo 60 gig files that was there. And sure enough, I found my answer. Delete immediately is in the list of things that when you right click on a file in the trash and it deletes just that file immediately. There's also empty trash, which of course deletes everything, but really nice to be able to cherry pick and say, yep, that's the one I want. Thank you. Good to go. So I, I didn't know it until a few days ago, so I figured I'd share. I bet I'm not the only one. So did you know about that one?
1: Um, I know about that through a slightly different means. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So if you're in the Finder, so you did this from within the trash can.
0: In the Finder, um, in the trash can, correct. Yep.
1: Right, from the Finder itself, I'm just looking now. So in the File menu, so I highlighted a file, I'm in the File menu, and if I hold down, no, which one? Ah, Option. Okay. Uh, You will see Delete Immediately show up in the list of things Uh. as well. So if you want to delete immediately from the finder level. Interesting. Yeah, And, and uh, let's see, it's a command option delete. Okay. Yeah. I think I've done that on occasion when I'm like, yeah, I want to get rid of this now. Huh? So there you go.
0: I think we're up to up to four or five. Yeah, okay, I like it. By... This is great. <laughs> this is great. All right. Uh, let's see. I am going to take us to Dimitri here. And uh Dimitri reminds us he says for the cool tips section quick tips he says I use three finger drag on my MacBook it's now second nature he says the way it works is similar to tap with two fingers and secondary click instead i tap three fingers and then i can drag He says, I use it to move windows around, files and folders in the finder, select cells in Excel, you name it. No need to move my thumb and really click and hold the touchpad uh, with moving another finger. He says, I'm so used to this pattern that one day I found myself extremely frustrated when I had to work for a day on a different MacBook where three finger drag wasn't working. I went to system preferences trackpad and the setting wasn't there. He says, I sighed and I kept on working. And 10 minutes later, a thought struck me. He says, Dave would always recommend to go to the accessibility settings when you need something out of the ordinary with HID, human interface device, uh, to happen. Lo and behold, accessibility, system preferences, accessibility, mouse and trackpad, trackpad options button enable dragging checkbox three finger drag in the drop down problem solved i i love this for a million reasons one it's you know the cool stuff in in accessibility and number two you know, we are happy to tell you individual things to do. Like it, we we love informing that that's our five new things, but really the goal is to get everybody thinking so that you can figure these things out on your own. And then and that's exactly what Dimitri did. So that, that made me quite happy this week to, uh, to know that, that like, you know, it's working. So it's only took us 15 years, John, it's working, it's working. So I don't know. What do you think? Did you, uh, have you ever done the three-finger drag? I kind of like it now that I've got it. Um, I think I've I think I already use three-finger drag. Okay. Okay. I know. It's one of those things that if you yeah, it's new for me for sure. I had not had it turned on with um with this until uh you know, until we um and it's it's not always I think he might have been talking about Mojave. For me, it's in system preferences accessibility pointer control trackpad options enable dragging, and then you can choose three finger drag right there. And then, uh, it works just fine. So, so yeah, it's either mouse and trackpad or pointer options, depending on either your version of the OS or what devices you have connected at the time. I think either of those might, uh, might change it. So, yeah, I got one last quick tip, John, unless we have more on that All right. one. Okay. Uh, Thomas reminds us, uh, he says in the last episode, about uh, two episodes ago, uh, where we were talking about McKay's problem with display contrast, he says, in bygone times, I worked as a consultant and some of my customers had this issue, too. I never got to how they did it, but it. I figured it had to be a keyboard shortcut, he says. So I searched on Apple's accessibility shortcuts and found an article uh, about controlling the contrast of your display with the keyboard and sure enough he says control option command period uh and i think comma will go in the other direction so it's a it's controlling the contrast of the display with keyboard shortcuts and so he thinks that people were hitting control option command and then hitting either period or comma and and messing with their um with their contrast so maybe that's a thing that Uh, that you'll remember one of these days, but we'll put a link in the show notes to the Apple knowledge base article that Thomas found so that, uh, you know, so that we all have it. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. All right, Mr. Braun, Uh, you know, you have found a thing, my friend, and it's completely an awesome thing. And it's related to email security. So I want to talk about that. and, and it's going to be epic because okay. we can finally get back to that. But if it's okay with you, I would like to also take a minute and talk about our first two sponsors, if that works for you. Excellent. All right. You know, these days, our homes aren't just our homes. They're our offices. There are our schools. They are our movie theaters. They are our restaurants, right? They're everything. And for most of those activities, we're using Wi-Fi. And if Wi-Fi is not good in all the places in the house, that's not good because now everybody's on top of each other in the one spot where the Wi-Fi is good. Solve this problem with Eero. That's how you're going to get solid Wi-Fi in your whole house. We talk about it here all the time. Eero has been doing this for a very long time and they've figured out a lot of the little nuances, right? That's what we talk about here on the show is. With Mesh. They've got to have the experience so that they can sort through all the little niggles and nuances that happen when you get all these different types of devices together. Your smart home devices, your cell phones, your computers, your printers, all that stuff need to work together. And Eero has figured it out there. You know, with Eero, you don't have weird problems where your IOT devices like, you know, suddenly are on and then off the network. No, because They've been through it. They know they've iterated, they've built the software. They've got a mature platform. And that's one of the reasons that we love them here. It's one of the reasons that we use them here because you want to be able to be on a work call while the kids are doing their remote school and somebody else streaming videos all at the same time without anybody really having to coordinate with each other. That's what you're going to get from Eero. And it's super dead simple to manage because you just do it with an app It really takes care of a lot of the smarts for you. You just use the app to kind of see what's going on. And it'll tell you if you need to do anything, which is even better. You know, we're asking a lot of our Wi-Fi and Eero can help yours do more. Go to Eero.com slash MGG and be sure to enter code MGG at checkout to get free next day shipping with your order. That's Eero.com slash MGG, code MGG at checkout to get your Eero delivered with free next day shipping. That's Eero.com slash M-G-G code M-G-G. Our thanks to Eero for sponsoring this episode. You know, once you get your Wi-Fi together, you're going to want to think about the next project that you're doing that next project, you're probably going to need a server for, and that's what you're going to want, Linode for at linode.com slash MGG, because at linode.com slash MGG, you get a $20 credit immediately added to your Linode account, no credit card required, just go do it, linode.com slash MGG, and then you can spin up a server using your $20 credit. In fact, you can spin up one of their lowest-priced, $5 a month, Nanode servers so you got a lot of time to play and tweak things of course then when you're ready to launch whatever it is you're doing next and it might just be like a little VPN server for you or maybe even a Minecraft server for you or a WordPress server or any other kind of server cuz the folks at Linode are server geeks they know how to do it all you spin that server up When it's time to launch it, if you need more, uh, you know, CPU or RAM or something or hard drive space or SSD space, really, they don't use hard drives. They only use SSDs, by the way. Yeah, then you can pay for more, right? But otherwise, start with that $5 Nanode and grow from there. And you can do it with the credit that they're about to give you because you're going to go to Linode.com slash MGG. So go there, start up your server have some fun, build something new, have a good story to tell about what you did in COVID. Go to Linode.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Linode for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, tell us about the email security, if you would, please. Well, Andrew sent in a question, okay. which um, you may
1: recall in the past, uh, uh, Who was, you know, we, we talked about encrypting and uh, uh, signing your email uh, if you get a certificate and uh for the longest time this uh bunch called Komodo who I think changed their name <laughs> for whatever reason well they also changed um, their
0: policies right that was that was the big issue yeah well yeah.
1: they no longer offered a free uh S-MIME certificate because as far as i know everybody would go to them to get a free one right um but then they had this you know unrealistic uh you know business model that they should actually charge money um <laughs> for these. So anyways, so we kind of, you know, stopped using them between us and and others because I guess we didn't really want to uh purchase them though you certainly can from a lot of people.
0: Totally. Yeah. Um, it 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 really for me it just came down to most people didn't care uh whether I had an e- a, an S/MIME email cert. Most people didn't that I communicated with didn't have them, so having a secure communication wasn't happening and on iOS, it was always a mess to try and get that to work. It really only ever worked well on the Mac. So it was like when it stopped being free, it was like, yeah, that's fine. I have GPG tools. So if I need to have secure communications with someone, it's totally doable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So, right.
1: um, but. But I uh, got a question uh, from Andrew and. So I did a little research here, but he was saying, just wondering if Apple Mail still has the ability to send encrypted, secure email. Mm. I can't seem to find the area where I can choose to send an email encrypted. Also, if I send an email encrypted from my side and the other person does not have encrypted email, does it make a difference? Meaning, is the email still safe in transit until it reaches the recipient or is it the same as just sending a regular email? Right. Um Good question. Yeah, good question. So um, exactly. to answer this question, because the thing is, normally um you will see icons in the mail app showing if you can encrypt or sign something. And I didn't see those icons because I didn't have a current certificate. So I went on a search and I think I found it at on Reddit or something. But <laughs> so the answer is one. Um Yes, it does. At least Catalina, the lady, or I confirmed this. Uh, but it is non-intuitive in, um, in that you won't see these icons. So they appear above the sig- or below? No, above the signature selection, right? And to the far right of the subject row, you'll well, see two icons. One is a little good, lock, and one is a checkmark.
0: The good news is we have an article on Mac Observer that Jeff Butts wrote uh, that details all of this stuff. He has, like, I think today uh, he's updating it to add these new certs that you found John but in terms of the instructions of getting it into mail on the mac those instructions are there and we will link to those in the show notes for sure because that like trying to explain this audibly I'm not sure we will succeed but but yeah it's there it's there iOS is a little different but you know there you go so
1: right so the answer is yes uh, so once you get a free or a, a free certificate or decide to pay for one you'll be able to send a signed message to someone. Right. um, Which proves that it's from your email address is what signing is. Um, But the answer here is that there there are a couple of ways to do this. The the way that most of us do this is what you do is send a signed message to the person that you want to do encrypted stuff with. What that does is that encloses your certificate within the email message Um. And once they receive the message, it'll put your certificate in their keychain, and then you can both.
0: Got right? it? Yeah. Right. Right. That makes sense. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Wait. Wait. Once you can also each manually other's... now, if you go yeah. to
1: keychain access and you. Right now, what you could do is you could also send your certificate without sending an email. To me, it's just you know just. Just send an email because that's what you're going to be doing anyways. Right. I mean, you could go in keychain access and export it and put it in, a, I think, a .cer file and send that to someone else. So your initial exchange uh, could then, or if you both exchange certificates without doing it through email, then you can start sending encrypted and signed
0: stuff right away.
1: Right. If you, if you want to approach it that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Right. That is that is the other way to do it. Yeah. Um, so I found
1: so uh, so, I found a place i 've never heard of them, um, but I think, yeah, it was on reddit so I, I was searching for free s mime certificate, and I came up with an article, and they said, "Hey, try these guys, and I tried these guys, and they work um, uh, and we'll 'll we'll link to where you can sign up for the certificate but it's actalis.it, which dot .it i t means Italy as far as I can tell because um, some of the emails that they exchange with you to set up your account or uh, or to set up your certificate um, were in Italian for
0: me. Right. Yes. Sir. Yep.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. The webpage was in English, but the emails were in Italian. So, um, but I was able to grok what they were doing. They actually have an interesting approach, Dave, that I hadn't seen before, but they actually password protect the certificate file and then send you the password, which I guess is an extra Yep, verification step. Yeah, I like it. Um, Yeah, the other guys or or the other the other guys typically didn't do that. They they just sent you their certificate and there you go. Um, so I guess that's 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 that. That's the answer to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, And and I got a reply back, and he said, yeah, you know, I may try this. The the only caution, as with Komodo, is that you may not want to. Uh, you got to think about why you want to use a free certificate. Um, you may want to use a free certificate to just test the waters, but I don't know if I would rely on that because they could pull a fast one like, or, you know, change their business model. So you got, you got to think about, and the thing is you will have to manage this. If you're doing this for an enterprise, uh somebody's going to have to keep track of all the certs and stuff and when to renew them. Right. Right. Um. And so free is not free in this case is that somebody's going to have to put in some effort in order to manage their certificates and make sure they're all up to date. Right. Totally.
0: Totally. Yeah. 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 All All right. right. You know, I'm having weird network problems again here, John. And, uh, and I'm seeing things not behaving. So, uh, I think I'm going to do what I did last time. And, uh, And restart the iMac in the office. I I mean, I don't know why that would cause any problems, but uh, sudo shutdown-r now. I'm on the right computer, iMac office. I don't want to be shutting this one down. Okay. So I have reset my network here. And just for good measure, I'm going to reset our little connection between us here, John. And uh, and we will see because I think Mr. Braun is back. Yep, got our little connection. Yep. Are you you're with me? Okay. All right. Well, we'll see if the uh, if the wacky ping times that I was experiencing before are uh, that was that was a weird thing the last time this happened with the iMac causing all kinds of issues. But um, restarting it, pulling it off the network and then restarting it made made all the difference in the world the last time. Just so weird. I don't get it, but. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Okay, I think we're in. I think we're in better shape here. I'm looking at my ping trail and everything. Yes. All right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Shall we? Uh, shall we continue here? I want to continue on the mail. Yes. Uh, the mail train, if we will, because JP has an attachment question related to email, and uh, he says, "Do mail attachments." That I archive in folders in my mail program, not on uh, on iCloud, not on my Mac, stay attached to the email on the server, or do they only reside in the mail downloads folder deep in the OS on the Mac? The reason I ask, I'm teaching my wife to file her emails and not keep them in the inbox, the outbox, or the trash folder for access. That's good. I, I, I like this. That's good. Uh, since these folders have behaviors that you have limited control over. True. True. So if she saves an email with, say, a video clip I sent her back in 2015, will it stay with the iCloud account in case something happens to the computer and it is wiped? This is a good question. So essentially, you know, do mail attachments last forever? And the, the answer, the simple answer is that, uh, and John, please correct me if I'm wrong, all email is sent as text, meaning any attachments are sort of irrevocably attached to the message. That said, you know, most email servers do limit the total size. So when you when I send you a message with an attachment, John, it, my computer converts it from an 8-bit binary thing to a 7-bit text thing, I think. I think that's still how it all works. And then mm-hmm. I blast that to you like it puts it all in one thing with, uh, you know, identifiers for different enclosures. They are MIME enclosures, just like the, the last question we were talking about, where your security certificates are MIME enclosures and even your encrypted message is a MIME enclosure. And then when you get it, your client sort of translates that and says, ah, OK, here's the text part of the message. Here's the attachments part of the message and all of that. But I I think it's doing it all as sort of. You know, an, a a converted seven bit text, but maybe email now is sent as binary. Maybe I'm I'm wrong on that part, but it is all one um, package, right? I'm pretty sure if you if if you look at
1: the the raw email, last I did, you will see the encoding. And yeah, you're right. the 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 reason they do this is that you can't assume that an email system can understand binary, because back in the old days, it just did text. So that's how you get around this. Is right do this eight to seven bit encoding. It sends it like that. And then when it gets on the other end, it puts it back together.
0: Yeah. Okay. Mm. All right. So because of that, attachments are sort of irrevocably attached to their mail message because they are, it is just one big stream of data that your mail client hopefully is parsing through and, and dealing with. Um, that said, mail drop uh, Apple's solution to sending large attachments is different because that is referencing something that you've uploaded perhaps without your necessarily explicit knowledge, uh, but you have to turn on the, the preference. If you go into mail uh, preferences, accounts, uh, select the account. You'll see an option for each of your accounts. Send large attachments with mail drop. What that does is it uploads your large attachment to Apple's server securely. I believe uh, And then it sits there waiting for the recipient to download. But the way the recipient downloads it is there's a link in the email that says anybody that got this email can pull down this attachment. So in that case, no, it is not forever. So it depends on whether you've sent it with mail drop or not. And uh, and so that's an important distinction here. But if it's truly an attachment to the email, it is stored with it forever. Um, uh, at least in my experience, I mean, I've got emails that go back, man, 1993, I think. And, uh and you know, attachments and everything are all, all there, um, you know, in their, in their, their small glory because, you know, connection. I think we were on dial up when we first started doing pop based email, John, but, uh, but yeah. So, so any thoughts on that one, John? Yeah,
1: I thought there was something in mail that had to do with attachments. Okay. No, no. Okay. Erase junk, erase deleted messages. Okay. Yep. Um, The only thing I would say is that, you know, back in the, um, just a little caveat here. Back, uh, especially in my corporate days, they would do everything they could to prevent us from using (laughs) email as file storage. Like having quotas and stuff like that. Um, I mean, if it's your own hard disk, then, you know, just keep in mind that, uh, you know, that's going to take up space. Though, you know, in this day and age, I don't think, you know, uh, you're able to get a hard drive large enough to just keep that in mind is that. Especially in a corporate setting, people may yell at you if you try to use
0: email as file storage. As file storage. Well, it's just I mean, even for our personal email, like it's it's not a good idea, especially with email being on, um, you know, on the server, right. With, with most of us using IMAP email accounts, it's all client server based. So everything you have on your computer is synced to the server unless it's in your, you know, on my Mac or on my iPhone folders, in which case it's definitely not synced to the server. So you don't have backups or anything like that. But yeah, using email is, as, I mean, it's just an inefficient way to go and, retrieve data. Usually it's, you know, it's not unless you're obsessive about the way you organize it. It's, you know, finding the email with the attachment, with the name and opening it up. Like it's just, like there, there are better ways, you know, <laughs> storing it in iCloud drive, for example, is one or, you know, Dropbox or yes. Right. Like any of those things. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm with you, man. All right. Should we, um, any more on that one? Nope. Okay. Then uh then let's go to do some photos stuff, shall we? Indeed. Okay. Mark will kick us off here uh and asks uh I have a continuing problem that I can't seem to solve in managing my photos. My workflow has always been to take photos using my iPhone, my plug my iPhone into my iMac via a lightning cable and sync all the photos to photos on my on macOS. I organize in photos on macOS into albums and such, and then I sync back all those uh, to my iPhone via a lightning cable. He says this works great for me as my photos on my Mac are my library, and I just sync them over to iOS. But lately, when I try to sync them back, I get problems such as duplicates, duplicates, duplicates. I see two and sometimes more of each photo on my iPhone or iPad. Uh, Slow syncing uh, is another problem to the point that I can't even tell if it's working. And uh, an admonition to unlock my iPhone when my iPhone is clearly unlocked. So his Mac is telling him to unlock his phone, even though his phone's unlocked. He says, I would like to not move to iCloud syncing as the thought of paying every month for something that I do not really need bothers me. The local syncing, at least when it works, he says, is fine for my personal use. It's just managing a freaking database. Why is it not working? I'm not one to dip into conspiracy theories, but man, does it feel like they are deprecating this simple and free method to drive me to pay for iCloud space. He says, I'm using a 2019 27-inch iMac with a six-core i5, running the latest Catalina. My iPhone 8 is running the latest iOS 13. Photos has 8,000 photos and 300 videos And it's 47 gigs in size. He says, I currently have the 50 gig plan, which I'm paying for uh, with iCloud. uh, But upping that per month isn't something I really want to do. And I have no expectations expectations that iCloud photo syncing would be seamless anyway. So, yeah, this is a good, um, I mean, well, it's a good question. It stinks that you're dealing with this. And while I don't use this kind of workflow, so I can't really speak from experience, So this is all going to be from the here's what I would do if I were there thought process. But I agree with you. Like this shouldn't be happening. What you what you propose doing should work. No problem. Um, So. I would, you know, even though you're not using iCloud photo library, you might be using photo stream. So on your iPhone, go to settings, tap on your name, go to iCloud, go to photos and see if upload to my photo stream is on. That might be the thing causing these duplicates here. Um, it shouldn't mind you, but you know, just looking at all the vectors where these photos might get from, you know, from uh, from Mark's iPhone to his computer, John, right? Like that's that's sort of the thing. And so assuming that's off, or if you turn that off and it doesn't change any of this, I would create a temporary new photos library on your Mac. And import from it to see if it causes any of these problems right to import to and from Um, this is one of those, you know, proceed carefully, preferably with lots of backups uh, scenarios, because you don't want to test things only to leave them worse in the end. But I feel like this would be a worthwhile thing. And. Um, you know, if I going with the, if I were there, I'm hoping that either one of these would work or in the process, we would see something that would perhaps trigger where to go on the next path. But, um, but yeah, I, I would, and I think it's hold down option to get the ability to, to either choose or create a new photos library to test with is, is, um, I believe I, I have that. I have the answer and actually an upcoming question, but, um, but I think that's, I think that's where it is. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, so, uh yeah, I, I, or, uh, rebuilding the library with option and command while opening photos. So yeah, option key will let you create or choose an alternate photos library. If you already have one created option and command while opening photos, will bring up a dialogue to let you rebuild it. So, um, Maybe one of those. I don't know. What do you think, John?
1: Um, I'm kind of in the same boat with, with you in that, um, I do uh iCloud photos. So it's, it's really not a worry. I'm surprised though, because when I do a manual import from my point and shoot camera, photos will, is smart enough. It keeps track of, you know, what's in its library. And it's like, Hey, you're trying to import the same thing again. um, I don't know if they broke that feature, but, um, yeah, I like what you suggested because yeah, that, that's like a a second Avenue, but again, you know, it should detect, oh, the, this has this
0: same name as something that is already in here. So yeah. Yeah, there's there's right. Sure it's not warning you against that. There's clearly a problem. The question is, is the problem on his iOS device? And it's probably not because he's he implies that there are multiple iOS devices sort of suffering the same fate. So the question is, is it on the iOS device or devices or is it on his Mac? And going with the presumption initially anyway that it's on the Mac, you know, make a backup of your photos library by all means. You, you're probably doing that already anyway. But just, you know, make another one. And then create a new library and, and see, right. Cause now you'll know if you can import back and forth and it's smooth and no problem. Now, at least, you know, where to look. Okay. I've got a problem with my, my photos library on my Mac. Now you can work on repairing that or any of those, you know, kind of other things, but you want to troubleshoot mm-hmm. down, you know, where, where is the problem? And if it's, if it happens, you know try then potentially try your phone with another mac with a fresh iphoto library or photos library sorry uh old habits die hard but uh that way you know oh is there something else on your mac that's going on like maybe something that's fighting you know you've got some contention over the usb port that's slowing things down and and causing hiccups and i mean you know like these things happen right like my mac in the office clearly has some problems uh in that it You know, maybe it's the Ethernet cable to my Mac in the office. Right. But there's definitely something we've seen it twice now where it just sort of barfs all over the network because things have been totally fine since I told it to knock it off. I don't know what it was doing. Maybe it's a time machine backup. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm, anytime I notice it, I'm busy doing this. So don't really get the option, but it seems to have it out for us, John. So I don't know. Uh, But yes, Mark, that's the path I would take. So any other thoughts on this one, John, before we go to Kent? Okay, Uh, Kent, similar, I think we'll have similar things to share, but Kent says, "Uh, I know there's got to be a quick fix for this, but I haven't found it. Today, when I launched my Photos app on my MacBook Pro, running latest Catalina, it told me I had to rebuild my library. A few minutes later, it was finished, and all my photos seemed to be there, but all my album data was gone. The albums still exist on my iOS devices, as well as on our Mac, also running the latest Catalina under my account and also in iCloud. While I haven't checked, I'm uncertain if they now exist in my carbon copy cloner backup, which ran overnight last night. I would imagine that I could copy the library files from my iMac and replace the ones on my MacBook, but I'm not at all certain which ones are the ones to copy. Uh, My pictures photos library dot photos library. So opening the package of his main photos library on this affected MacBook pro uh, and looking in the database folder. So you would go into um, home pictures, right click on your photos library. If in fact, that's where you store your photos library and choose show package contents. He's now looking in the database folder and he sent us um, a, a, a screenshot of this, which was really interesting because there's, you know, I don't know, maybe a dozen files in there. And most of them have green check boxes on them, but two, the photos dot, SQLite and photos.sqlite-shm files have red exclamation points on them. The finder does not put green checkboxes or red exclamation points on anything by itself. It only does this, in my opinion, when or in my experience, when there's something doing syncing now. Yes. Uh, right. So and syncing our photos libraries, we found is no bueno so i have an idea as to how this might have happened of course we're not on kent's machine we don't know i don't think we've heard back from kent quite yet so we don't know if maybe kent had dropbox or synology cloud station syncing his entire home folder which would then sync this that could sort of cause this problem um and I would, I would investigate that at least a little bit to figure out why we're here and maybe avoiding that. Maybe if it is like something like, you know, Synology Drive or Cloud Station or Dropbox, uh, omitting the photos folder from that syncing would, would probably be a good thing. Um, and then after turning that off and not having something that's, you know, fighting for for these files, I would hold down option and command while opening photos again to bring up that rebuild dialogue. Um, failing that you are in good, better shape uh, because you have iCloud photos. So if you can't get your photos library on the MacBook pro to be rebuilt, open with photos with just the option key down, like we were talking about in the last question, create a new photos library, then go into photos preferences general and click the little button that makes that library, the system library. Then, and it's going to tell you that it's got to turn off iCloud photos on your Mac in order to do that. And that's a good thing. So let it do that. Then once it finishes doing that, go into photos preferences iCloud and re-enable iCloud photos. It will now sync your iCloud photos from iCloud down to this photos library, the new one you created on your Mac. Hopefully it's not uh, corrupted Make sure it's not being synced and all of that. And uh, and and I think that'll get you past it. The, the beauty is you essentially have a backup in iCloud that you can just use to repopulate. If you don't want to repopulate over the network, maybe you have network um, bandwidth limitations or something. You could copy the photos library from your other Mac over your local network to this one or on a flash disk if you've got a big enough or, you know, an SSD or something, some external drive. You can, you know, whatever it takes, get it there and and then point it at that and it will then update. I've done that before, too, and it's, it's actually worked. Make backups, please, you know, obviously. But, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's my investigation on this one, John. I don't know. Oh, I'm with it? you. Okay.
1: They were, uh, yeah, they were fighting. Uh, two different programs were fighting over this resource, and yeah. uh, it went south. So it went sideways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or it went sideways. So this will, uh, this will uh, get us back on I, the straight and narrow.
0: I think that's the I issue. Hope. Yeah, I, you know, I just know that syncing the photos library is it never ends well and syncing you know running the photos library across a network link also never ends well like you could sort of get away with it when we were using iPhoto but the new format of the library with photos like it I don't even think photos will launch if it realizes that you're trying to do that so uh, I don't know you know it's uh sometimes you got to trust Apple uh when they tell you these things so Mm -hmm. that's at least you know at least that's been my experience so, all right, um, sort of related to photos. We'll, we'll call it images. We'll, we'll use a little bit of um, creative license here to categorize these things together. Brent says, I have a 2013 27-inch iMac, and I've noticed an odd issue occasionally pop up on this machine. Sometimes there are artifacts or burn-in. ...from a window that I have already minimized. For instance, today I was streaming some satellite radio via a tab in Safari. This might have gone on for maybe a half hour. After that was done, I quit Safari. However, I can still very lightly see some of the graphics from the open Safari tab... ...sort of ghosted on my desktop. It was easier to see if I put a different, slightly transparent window over that part of the screen. It doesn't seem to go away by shutdown but sometimes running the screensaver and or a PRAM reset does the trick. I'm wondering if there's some issue going on with the machine or is this normal? Um, no, uh, you know, I've seen this on plasma displays. It's a concern on OLED screens. Um, but I'm like, it's not supposed to be a thing on LCD screens, right? I, I didn't even think it was possible. Evidently. Apple has a couple of knowledge base articles about this though, John. Um, hmm. Yeah. And in uh, in essentially they advise a couple of things. You'll appreciate this, John, because in one of the articles, albeit uh, one that's deprecated and no longer being updated, um, they the advice is Apple calls this image persistence on a- Apple LCD displays. And they say with some Apple LCD displays. If you leave an unchanging image like a login screen or a desktop picture on the screen for a long time, you might see a faint remnant of the image even after a new image replaces it. This is called persistence. Well, that's Apple's term, but that's fine. Um, it, the The thing that they recommend is to prevent it using energy saver and things like that. Um, he says, he says, not he, Apple says, in the rare event that an image does become persistent, you can usually get rid of it. By following these steps and the steps include um, temporarily set energy saver to never sleep, then display an all white pattern across the entire display for the same amount of time that the persistent image had been displayed on the screen. And then they guide you through creating a bright white image. And one of the things they say is create an all white graphic in a graphics application such as graphic converter. Or Photoshop. So I thought that was pretty good that they mentioned graphic converter. We've loved that for a long time. Um, and then they say turn the brightness down but not off to save the backlight bulb. So it doesn't matter about the brightness. Um, it is just about the uh, the LCDs themselves. And, uh, and then use that image displayed by the – use this as the image displayed by the screensaver. So you turn the screensaver on but set it to never sleep and it will just display this white image for however long you uh you leave it. So I maybe I you know like I said I'd never heard of this image persistence before but um evidently it's a thing. So have you have you ever experienced this John? I mean not uh, like not I, on an LCD.
1: Right. I mean right. <laughs> I mean back in the day you would have this with a, a CRT cathode ray tube. Uh, and I think the way to solve it is you would degauss the screen and it would like zap it with magnetic energy or something to
0: yeah get all the, get everything re up working correctly again. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. The degaussing of the
1: screen. Oh, I remember. Um, yeah, I think I tossed it eventually, but, um, one of the first screens I had from Apple, I think it was a 13 inch color and it was a Trinitron tube that you used yep. at the time. Yep. But yeah, it had a button on the back, and if you if you pressed it, it would you know the screen would wobble and and all that. But it would usually get rid of any artifacts. But yeah, and, uh, I'm also wondering if it's not a
0: hardware thing, but maybe a GPU acting up. Oh, interesting! Uh, like somehow it's in the memory of the GPU. I mean, um, uh. uh I I just think of the
1: GPU when I, especially when people send in screenshots of the machine acting up and you'll see like weird patterns across the screen and they're like, what's going on? You know, like, right. Huh? So I don't know if the GPU is failing or it could be this. It it just, I don't know if it's, uh,
0: yeah, I know. It's weird, man. That's weird. (laughs) Ah, yep. Well. That's uh, hopefully, you know, like I said, I was shocked to see that Apple um, had this, uh, you know, as their, as their thing. Like I didn't even know that it was a Mm -hmm. a thing. So I'm glad, I'm glad they at least know about it. Like this, this gives me hope that this is actually something that, that Brent will be able to solve because, you know, hopefully they've. The, the following the use the screensaver, set the whole screen to just bright white or something. The new article doesn't say you have to do it with just a bright white screen. They It says you can do it with anything. You just need to leave a screensaver on for as long as you had left the previous image on and that based on the, the nuances and specifics of your display, it will you know deal with it. So, I don't know, man. But, hey, You know, that's where we go. Uh, We've got a bunch of tips and follow-ups, John, and I can't wait to get to them. Uh, But I want to take a minute and talk about our next two sponsors, if that works for you. Please do. All right. You know, this summer's been weird, but in some senses, it's actually been kind of nice, you know, being home with the four of us in our house. We've really had extra time together. It's truly extra time. We weren't expecting to have it. And we've been able to just kind of have some hang time with each other, which has been awesome. And our next sponsor, ExpressVPN, has allowed my son and I to have some hang time being able to watch things like Rick and Morty, Via Netflix in France, even though we're, you know, only virtually traveling to France to watch it, if you will. And we can do that virtual travel with ExpressVPN because you just pick your endpoint, and then boom, you're there and you can get to see the things that maybe you can't get to see at home. In addition to that, ExpressVPN is super secure, right? Their trusted servers are one of the things I love best about them because their servers cannot track what you do because they don't have the ability to write any data. They just spin up from a Ram disc essentially. So if you turn off the, if they turn off the server, it saved nothing. It just turns back on and it's back at, at like ground zero again, which I think is pretty cool. And that way your ISP only knows that you're connecting to the ExpressVPN tunnel. They don't know anything about what you're doing. ExpressVPN doesn't track anything that you're doing. So you've got this super secure, private, fast, super fast tunnel. And ExpressVPN is available on every device, phones, laptops, tablets, even your TV, And we've got a deal because if you use our link right now at expressvpn.com slash MGG, you get, you guessed it, an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash MGG. And our thanks to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode. You know, these days it seems like companies are putting CBD in everything, And CBD can be great for you. I've talked about how CBD really helped me finally sort of get over the final hump of this 10 year issue I had after I had Bell's palsy, which longtime listeners will remember when I could barely talk and we were still doing the show. Well, if you don't know where to start with CBD, there's a company in Vermont that's down to earth and doing things differently and simply. And that's Sunsoil. I have been able to test both the capsules, and the uh the the, the drops essentially from sunsoil it's it these drops are awesome because they, they flavor them so you, like i got the cinnamon ones and they're oh, it tastes great it's fantastic and i have to tell you sunsoil they sent me some stuff to test out and i've been buying it since then because the prices i'm seeing from sunsoil are the best that i've seen anywhere All their CBD oil is USDA certified organic. They grow hemp on their farms in Vermont and they never use pesticides, herbicides, or GMOs. And you know, because we're geeks, we like QR codes. Well, every bottle or jar or whatever has a QR code on it that you can look up on your phone and see exactly what is, you know, in there. They, they have all the lab tests and everything so that you know that you're getting the real thing. And, It's fantastic. I really have appreciated Sunsoil. Of course, I appreciate their sponsorship, but I just appreciate their products and I'm so thankful uh, for them. And you get a deal even off their already low prices. Sunsoil makes pure and simple CBD products at this unbeatable price. And you can get 30% off your first order by going to sunsoil.com slash MGG. That's S-U-N-S-O-I-L dot com slash MGG for 30% off your first order. Go do it. Our thanks to Sunsoil for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, let's, uh, let's get to some of these tips, shall we? Uh, Listener John reminds us or tells us something. He says, You know, in episode 827, you were describing Craig's CPU spikes. You read out a list of apps that Craig was running, and one of them, he says, was Parallels Tools. For the last couple of years, my 2015 MacBook Pro ran constantly hot, with the fan frequently kicking in. I checked everything obvious and eventually concluded it was likely just age and overall load and uh, that I was placing on it rather than one specific app. In fact, this was one of the factors that drove me to recently upgrade to a new 2020 MacBook Pro. As soon as I configured my new machine, I encountered exactly the same issue. This caused me to investigate further, and long story short, I eventually discovered several people online complaining of Parallels tools and performance. Lo and behold, the moment I quit Parallels tools, my Mac ran completely cool and silent and has done so ever since. I feel frustrated by this as software as simple as Parallels tools shouldn't have that impact sitting silently in the background as it does. But if my experience can help Craig or anyone else, then I thought worth sharing. Thank you, John. Yes, great tip i had no man uh, you know i would not have expected parallels tools to be something that uh you know that would that would run hot like that that's i don't know have you i I mean i know we've both used parallels tools i'm assuming you probably don't leave it running all the time on your machine john or maybe you would maybe Um, do on this machine i actually
1: um when I did my last Parallels update, yeah. it, it said, hey, you want to install Parallel Tools? And I'm like, eh, sure, why not? No, it it everything
0: huh. seems to be running cool. All right. Well, if you have a problem, you know what to look at.
1: Um, yeah, well, I'm not running it on... Uh, I don't think I'm running it on my MacBook Pro. Okay. The only thing that I've had run up my fans on my machine was um, when I tried to run uh, Sims 4... Okay. Epic? Sure. From Epic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when I when I ran that particular game, oh that that that's the only thing that I can recall in recent okay. memory that drove up the fans because it was set for making super duper graphics super hoopy like, yeah, graphics. Yeah. Sure.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I reduced the uh the, the quality of the graphics and uh
0: and then the, the fans backed off. So. Okay. Okay. Well maybe you need to get an eGPU for your uh for your Mac mini John. Uh maybe. I mean like you know it's like that, what like 500 bucks you can get one and then you're like then you're rocking I think. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Interesting. So all right. Well, good. Uh also in episode 827 we were talking about changing account usernames and Ben wrote in and says, I was a tad surprised. Neither of you knew about the process of changing a Mac user account name in Mavericks. And earlier, this was more difficult to accomplish, requiring a series of arcane terminal commands. However, Apple has made this really easy to do since Yosemite and documents it in, of course, a support article. Uh, he says, as you folks indicated, the trick is to have an extra admin user account on hand from which to do the changes. Ideally, it's best to have that account set up in, uh, you know, in the past, so that you're not dealing with all of the setup assistant stuff that will happen with, uh, with, um, you know, with a new account if you're if you're creating one. He says, uh, in my work, this opportunity is often valuable to clients who acquired a used Mac from a seller who didn't know how to properly prepare it for them with all user accounts removed so that they could create their own from scratch. It enables them to personalize their computer, especially after I reveal the existence and value of the home folder in the first place. And as uh, as you noted, John Ben says changing the full name starts propagating the Mac right away, though I think it's best to log out after doing so. So I will put this. Uh, link to this article here that's great, so you can even change the user account name, which changes the home folder and they and and he's totally right. It's a very short like one page article that talks about renaming the home folder first and then rename the account so very, very straightforward, which i this is great thanks, Ben. Good stuff, man. had you taken a look at that that uh, that knowledge base article, John? I thought that was pretty good no okay well it's it's pretty good. All right, uh, how are we doing on time? Oh, we we got we'll have time for cool stuff found. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, great. So, listener Nick uh, says in the last episode, Dave, you mentioned your trials and tribulations with Gmail G Suite. He says I've thrown in the towel and switched to Fastmail. I highly recommend them. And no, I don't work for them. I just think they're awesome. They use real IMAP, not Google's strange Frankenstein version. He says they even even have a quick and painless import function to bring over all your G Suite mail. This I did not know. This makes things different for me. Um, It brings over your mail, your contacts, your calendars, if you have any of that stuff over there. He says just follow the prompts and sign in with your Google OAuth credentials and it will slurp down all your stuff. It'll even periodically check your Google account for new mail until the new domain uh, and all of the records propagate over. So, like, they've really got this down. He says the seamless import also works with Yahoo, Outlook.com, and even iCloud. Or, of course, he says you can manly, manually enter server information for a generic IMAP provider. They worked with Apple to use their push servers so you can get instant push notifications from Fastmail on iOS. Contacts and calendars are standard CardDav and CalDav as they support contact groups, unlike Google. App passwords are required for all your Macs and devices, but setup is easy with the optional downloading of a profile even. Oh, wouldn't that be better? Yeah. Uh, it says you can set up your own MX records and point to their name servers or they can, and they can do everything for you. They use different spam filters that are super easy to manage. Uh, you just set up learn spam and not spam folders and they learn from those. So you're not having to like deal with the black box that is Google, Custom domain plans are five bucks a month or $50 a year for 30 gigs of storage. Or if you want a hundred gigs of storage, you can just up that to $9 a month or 90 bucks a year and a 30 day free trial. He says, so yes, he doesn't work for them, but wow. Yeah, I, um, I'm about to be an empty nester, John, and I have a series of kind of projects that I've kicked off over the years um, or pushed, put on the back burner over the years and switching my email away from G suite is most definitely one of them, especially ahead of next spring when G suite won't work with um, the way we like to do things anymore because, because they won't let us, we said this in the last episode, but they won't let us log in insecurely. And when you log in securely, you can't use multiple email addresses, multiple from addresses. So yeah, we're we're probably going need to need to to be making some it will be time for some changes. So This is great. Thank you, Nick. Um that that gives me I I had pretty much already planned on using Fastmail anyway, but I did not know about all this new stuff. It'd been a long time since I take a look at taking a look at them. So um so the, yeah, there you go. Good stuff. I will definitely look back into that. All right. Any uh, any thoughts on on that, John? No, I've uh. Yeah, I've pretty much
1: jettisoned my ISP's email. Oh, for sure. I only use it for one legacy purpose. Um, Other than that, I've switched everything over to mostly my Apple email.
0: Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah,
1: okay. Oh, I have some others. Yeah, of course. But... um, Of course. Cool. Yeah, you convinced me to go on that journey a while ago because you don't but, want to be stuck to your isp because what if i move which i don't think i will but if i do
0: well but what if a new provider comes into town and will offer you you know gigabit uh synchronous fiber like you want to be able to just switch and tell your isp i'm done whereas if your email is tied mm-hmm. to them uh, you're not as done as you thought you were sir <laughs> we still have our shackles so, yeah yeah from what i hear that's not going to happen anytime soon I'm surprised for both you and me that neither one of us has fiber around. I mean, I've got a major university, you know, five minutes from my house and, and I think Portsmouth, which is a town 10 minutes away has fiber, uh, at least in some spots available. You've got, you know, several universities and schools in your town and you're in that Fairfield County corridor of, of people who, you know, live and work in New York. I, I feel like, I feel like this, you know, especially if, if, um, you know, the stay at home trend continues, I think maybe that will help goose things along because I want faster uploads, man. There's 40 megabits. I know it's way better than, I mean, especially mm-hmm. after we talked last week about my experience on rural broadband. So I, I don't I have to temper my, my complaints here, but I feel like, you know, it, it could be faster. So I know it could be plus i see friends that have you know synchronous gigabit from like
1: at&t well, or whatever the thing is i have it dave i think i told you i looked out my window one yeah. time and i saw this this big i didn't know what it was but it had a little tag and a phone number on it or or actually the tag and yeah. i looked the company up and it's like yeah hey that's a a fi- it, it was it, i have a fiber uh, junction or whatever you want to call it or switch outside yeah. <laughs> On the pole, but I. uh, It looks like it. uh, I don't know if it's a company that laid it down and then put it on hold. But but it's as far as I can tell, it's fiber. Can you figure out which company it is and call them up? I, I tried calling them a couple of times. I found their website, but it looks like they're not into residential. Okay. I, I think they're more
0: like business. Yeah, um, but if you tell them what's a bit bu- like ask them what a business account costs. You never know. It might, you know, it might be like, yeah, yeah, we'll run it right to you. Cuz you're sort of yeah, in a commercial well, district there with, you know, I mean, you've got like stores across the street mm-hmm. and stuff. Like so th- like they they might be I don't know. I, it, I you know me. I always
1: Yeah, and I think and we have something. I think uh, again, I think it's only business, but I think it's called Lightstream, which is Okay an optimum offering but it's uh, like i had it when when i worked at one place in fearful county we had Lightstream, and it was fiber to a business but, okay huh yeah i mean i could call them up the thing is I, every time i called i never got anybody on the phone right
0: right so well maybe nowadays worried. they'll be a little more um yes. you know interested in in chit-chatting i don't know Mm-hmm. yeah yeah, I have it on my calendar every three months to check for FiOS here because it's so close, but nothing yet. So maybe, maybe some five G thing or or what uh, you know, the satellite Starling thing that we were talking about. Like maybe something, something will change. Something will break open. I think. I don't know. All right. No, it's not Lightstream. I think. Okay.
1: Ah, uh, here we go. Light Path. Light Path. Okay which links to Altis business, which Altice is our ISP. Okay. So there is, so there, there's a relationship between them.
0: Okay. Yeah. So. All right, man. Well, path. that's, that's your path. I'll, I'll let them know we mentioned it in the show and, or you can, <laughs> and then, you know, maybe, maybe that gets the right attention of the right people. So, mm-hmm. yep. 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 All right. Um. Yeah. But yeah, we got to get this, John. We got to figure it out. Somebody out there, if somebody out there knows, like, has any advice, please let us know. We'd love to hear. Okay. Uh, Jeff asks, he says, I hope you guys are well. So far, so good. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, I decided to install the public beta of Big Sur. Okay. I'm trying to find the location of where photo booth stores photos and videos that have been created. And more importantly, the reason I'm trying to find it is, do you know of a way to change the storage location for photos or video created by photo booth? He says, I would love for them to automatically upload to my Dropbox. Okay. So I did not dig into this on Big Sur, but uh, certainly in Catalina, I have not found a way to control where photo booth stores its stuff, but just that we never give up here. We're bullheaded persistence. Remember, that's that's how we uh, that's how we're going to get our, our full gigabit broadband, John, is uh, is going to apply here. And that is Hazel from NoodleSoft, because what Hazel will do is essentially watch your folders. Apple used to have a feature called watched folders and uh, NoodleSoft's Hazel actually does what we all hoped it would do. What what Apple's feature would do. And so you can go get this and you point Hazel at a folder. Uh, so it would be for you. I am i don't think they've changed this in Big Sur, but it would in Catalina, it's home pictures photo booth. That's where it saves the stuff. Point Hazel to that folder and just set up a rule in Hazel that says take anything that appears in this folder and move it to a, your Dropbox folder or a subfolder thereof. And then that's it. You're done. It will, your, your photos, photo booth folder will remain empty. I think photo booth might therefore also remain empty. So fair, fair warning on that, but it will move them. So you could copy them over to your Dropbox folder if you want to do that and also have them in photo booth. But, um, but you know, that's, um, that would be, that would be the way to do it. I mean, I guess you could also create a sim link between the two and then, you know, like sim link, create the folder in your Dropbox, delete the home pictures, photo booth folder, and then sim link the Dropbox folder to your photo booth folder. That might also, depending on how Apple has done things in photo booth, that might also work with a shortcut or an alias. What do we call them now? I think aliases. Yeah. Um, So any one of those could work. Lots of options. I don't know. This is just geeks geeking out. What do you think, John? Hmm. Would a smart
1: folder be able to do mm. <clears throat> that? Never mind. Okay. Just, just reminding myself, I should play with smart, smart folders. I thought yeah. smart folders could do
0: something like this. But smart folders aren't actually folders, right? Like they're, they just exist as like theoretical constructs and they're, they're almost like searches, right? They're not, it's not an actual folder stored somewhere that could then be synced to your Dropbox, right? right. right? They're, they're just like a, a thing that lives in your finder sidebar or something. I don't, yeah, you're right. I don't do a lot with folders with smart folders. That's interesting. So yeah. What happens if I create a smart folder? Somewhere? Yeah. I think it's more search based. Okay. Okay. I thought, you,
1: I thought you could, I thought you could attach actions to, uh,
0: to them. Okay. Right? I think you can. Oh, well. Yeah. So I got a smart folder. Yeah. 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 It's just a, it's just, you're right. It's search-based. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I like the idea though, but yeah, yeah. Hazel or a shortcut or a, a SIM link would almost certainly do it. So, yeah. You know, fun. All right. Some cool stuff found. We got time. Plenty of time. Uh, Clive. This, I, I am, I love cool knowledge-based articles. And Clive says, uh, he found, An article titled, um, well, I'm not sure the the title of the article is about wireless roaming for enterprise on Apple's website. And uh, he was looking for how devices in your home, iOS devices specifically, roam when you're on a mesh network. Well, this explains all of it. This article, it's like. They say this article is intended for system administrators for a school business or other organization. Yeah. It's also for us. Wi-Fi geeks like this is freaking amazing. And they talk about trigger thresholds and roam scans and Rome candidate selection criteria and Rome performance and how to use the Wi-Fi scanner in airport utility on your phone to get, you know, kind of a feel for what your phone is going to do. Um, the trigger threshold is really interesting Uh, because what that is, is the minimum signal level that your phone or Mac needs to maintain a connection. And when it gets, uh, well, they, they use the term exceeds negative 70 DBM. They mean lower than negative 70 DBM. So 70 negative 71 is lower than negative 70 because that's how that works with negative numbers. So the higher the negative number, um, when that gets above, (laughs) see, I'm doing it, John, when it gets uh, gets lower than negative 70 DPM, at that point, your phone says, ah, I've got a weak signal. Now I've got to scan for a new place to to go to. So we always talk about how it's truly up to your phone to decide, you know, it's up to the client devices on a mesh network to decide. But there are things that the mesh network can communicate down in some of the smart ones like Eero and Plume and um, uh, I'm trying to think of this. Oh, and and like Unify uh, can do that a lot of the other ones are what we call dumb meshes where they just leave it up to the client to do all this stuff. But this explains all this stuff. So very, very cool. Um, so anyway, this is, uh, it's talking about 802.11 K John, this is talk about like fun little projects. Dig into this. So thank you, Clive. That is definitely cool. Geeky stuff found. I love it. And of course we've linked it from the show notes. So did you, uh, have you dig? Have you digged into that? Have you dug into that, John?
1: Um, there's a similar article that I don't think is enterprise-based. Okay. That I found at one point. Yeah, it it, it outlines the rules. Yeah, I think the rules. Most of it is.
0: Yeah. <clears throat>
1: it's like, how does it select it? And yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the uh, yeah with the signal strength.
0: Signal strength. It, it, there's it another bail, there's another section that talks about how it chooses between 2.4 and five gigahertz, which is also mm-hmm. cool. So, yeah, it's fun. I love this stuff as, as mm-hmm. listeners know. All right. Uh, yeah. So that's in the show notes. Bob uh, says uh, Earth desk for Apple TV, 4K. Was just released to the App Store. He says, this is a beautiful, high def view of Earth, clouds, daylight, moonlight, and optional earthquakes, storms, and ISS tracking. He says it's been my Mac desktop for years. I am so happy to have it on the Apple TV now. So yes, Earth Desk is now Apple TV compatible. So I put that in there too, Mr. Braun. You need an Apple TV for that. You can't just use the Apple TV app on your smart TV. This is one of those things where it's an Apple TV app, so you have to have an Apple TV to do it. Because so, it comes up in conversation. I got an Apple TV. Should I know. Yeah,
1: that's good. I gotta say, I like the the ones that are built in. Are uh, yeah. pretty dazzling themselves.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um. All right. In the last episode, John, we were talking about broadcasting teachers needing to broadcast sound from the front of the room to the back of the room, and we got quite a few thoughts about this the first one is from listener don who says you could use the microphone live app on the iphone it will allow you to speak into an iphone microphone and then send the audio to any speaker that your iphone can see bluetooth airplay even your iphone speaker although you you know probably if if you like headphones sure but otherwise it'd create a lot of feedback because it's it's pretty low latency i was messing with it with my phone and it like it it was, it was in a feedback loop right away when I told it, yeah, no, it's okay. Do it out of the phone speaker. It was like, I don't think that's a good idea. And I did it anyway, you know? So there you go. So it's called microphone live and it's a free app and it'll let you, you know, you just attach your speakers to the phone, pair them with Bluetooth or you know, however you want to do it. You wire them in, you know, and then whatever microphone you have on your phone, you get to pick my, both microphone and speakers from the thing. So if you've got a Bluetooth mic, sure. Bluetooth is gonna in- introduce its own delays. So th- you know, be aware of that on either the input or the output, and or output and uh, but otherwise, yeah. It's pretty good. So thanks for that, Don. It's pretty cool, huh, John? Indeed. Yeah. Peter uh also has a solution for us there. And uh Peter says folks looking for classroom audio options should take a look at light speed tech. Dot com That's lightspeed-tek.com. We've been using these in my district for years in classrooms with students who need clearer audio throughout the room. They work really well and aren't affected by crowded school Wi-Fi. So this is a sort of, uh, uh, you know, its own sort of inbuilt system of a transmitter and receivers that you could either place at certain students' desks or even around the room. So uh, they've been solving this problem for a little while. So if anybody's. About to deal with that or dealing with that in their classrooms now with, you know, extra distancing and all that. There you go. And then uh, Peter also tells us, John, about something we keep hearing about, and that is anyone looking to really ramp up their experience with the touch bar and better touch tool should look at the golden chaos presets for better touch tool. He says, I really wasn't taking full advantage of my touch bar uh, until I found this, all the buttons you can imagine, and then some without having to fiddle in the better touch tool interface. So you master this, right?
1: Yes. And, uh, it's, <laughs> it's a good reason to have the touch bar. The uh, Apple's implementation is very minimal. Okay. I would agree. Some people are like, uh, some people are like, you know, well, what am I going to do with this? Right. And, you know, we did show that you could use it uh, in a very limited fashion to accomplish certain, you know, get certain shortcuts that are missing. But other than that, I mean, mostly what it does is, you know, the, the built-in functionalities, it'll show you some shortcuts that either they define or you define. Sure. And you'll get some uh, stuff on the left side that's uh, contextual to whether you're in the Finder or Safari or mostly Apple apps from what I can see. Okay. This changes everything. Well, not everything. Really? But, um, Okay. It makes it a much better experience. So here's... Uh, the key things that they do. So one, well, first off, Better Touch Tool. I had a version that had expired. Okay. Um, I, I had downloaded it directly from their site, and then you know lost interest. And, sure. Yeah, you hadn't <laughs> and to get with back it. to it. Yeah. I'm like, oh man. Well, here's some good news. It's part of Set App. So if you have Set app, you have this, and I have Set apps and I have <laughs> Better Touch Tool. Um, is what one of the highest recommended things when you use their uh, their app browser huh. so anyways i installed it and actually i was able to you know very quickly so someone had a request how can i do a, a sleep screen and i was able to create a button do that like very quickly okay um oh, created the button right. the action is sleep screen and i think i titled the button zzz Z, Z, and once i was done that appeared in
0: my oh it's that bar. so it's that simple. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So for anybody with a touch bar, this is like mandatory. It sounds like.
1: Because what they do is they introduce a whole bunch of what they call presets is, is what this is called in their terminology. But here's what it does for you, Dave, very quickly. So once you install this, um, you get widgets. So they give you widgets. Uh, on the right side of the screen. So rather than your user to find shortcuts, you get widgets. Got it. Uh, notifications, Siri, search, weather, calendar, things like that. But here's the fun part. So one, if you press down on some of these because it's a widget, like for example, so they have a weather widget. Uh, if you press it, it'll then populate the left side with more details about it, like oh. what the weather's going to be for the next several days. The calendar widget. If you press down on that, it'll actually show you your appointments. Like it showed me my appointment for for today. <laughs> right. And when I clicked on it, it actually opened up calendar, and you can. And I dug into this a bit, and you can actually tell it which calendar app you're using. So, huh? um, you would even like it because I know you you like to use a uh, uh, Busy Cal right. versus uh, Apple Calendar. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. All right. So this so is... one they have widgets. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, there's a, a bunch of other things. Um, you know, it gives you the equivalent of a dock. Um, uh, and, uh, but they also have custom widgets for a lot of apps, okay. which uh, uh, Apple doesn't introduce. And I think they actually have like a little app store for uh, for add-ons that people have created or they've created. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's... it's uh, yeah, it does so much more. I mean, it'll it'll make you look at your touch bar in a different way because it's actually providing useful information.
0: Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. No, this What's sounds another like thing a it thing. Does?
1: Yeah. Yeah, another thing I noticed. Okay, uh another one then moving on. So, oh, say I'm this running mail. Yeah. What it automatically does, so if I'm running mail, uh all the way to the left of the screen, it'll show me, "Oh, by the way, you have this many new messages in your inbox." <laughs> um and it'll show you the, the status for a lot of other apps as far as, hey, you got new stuff here. You better pay attention to it. Got it. Cool. All right. That's awesome. No, it's, that, yeah. it's pretty
0: sweet. So yeah,
1: if, if you had a touch bar, which I guess you don't.
0: I don't. Point. No, my MacBook Air does not have a touch bar. I've had them with the, like the most recent, the 13 inch MacBook Pro that I tested that, you know, with the, the sort of the new low end MacBook Pro that I tested to compare with the air back in the spring had one of these for sure. And, but I had not dug into this, so I missed out. So I'll need to, I'll need to dig back in. I, yeah, yeah, this is good. Okay, cool. Uh, all right. Uh, Thank you for that. That's great. Um, one last thing I want to point out, you know, we always need more storage in our synologies and, or our NAS devices in general, uh, And it's good to be proactive about replacing the drives that are in there. I also recommend that you don't buy a bunch of drives from the same place at the same time and put them all in your NAS at the same time. Because many of us have found and continue to find that when drives from the same batch are put into service at the same time in the same unit, they all start to die at the same time. And that's a bad scenario. So... You want to be aware of all of these things. You want to be proactive about replacing them. So you're not finding yourself in a scenario where you've got dead drives or dying drives. Um, and the, you know, we've talked a lot about the Seagate Iron Wolf drives on the show. I'm becoming less enamored with those, John, and this is going somewhere, by the way, I've, I, they've, they've become like, yes, they have the extra like cool integration features with the Synology, but quite frankly, I don't really use those or care about them for my usage. And Seagate's Exos drives, EXOS drives, are rated like twice as long as the Iron Wolf drives. They're supposed to be more expensive, but a lot of times I find them cheaper than the Iron Wolf drives. And, and so I'm looking to those Exos drives as my, you know, as I'm needing to replace things. And I've got some 14 terabyte drives in my main disk station that are Iron Wolf drives that are already starting to f- die, which after like two years, they shouldn't be at all, but they mm. are many. I have three of them and two of them. One of them it, like is a like already out done. Um, the other one is, you know, one of the, one of the other ones is questionable. The third one, not yet, but you know, I know it's coming. So um, I've been looking at the Exos drives and I figured, well, if I'm going to buy new drives, I'll buy 16 terabytes. So I did some searching and the smart people on Reddit figured something out. You can buy a 16 terabyte Exos drive, you know, naked, just the drive from like Amazon or Newegg for like, eh, let's say $390. But you can buy the Seagate 16 terabyte expansion desktop thing for like somewhere between $295 and $305. So quite a bit less. And if you shuck the enclosure that contains that you'll inside find an enterprise grade Exos 16 terabyte drive. Um, Technically, I don't, I think there's going to be a potential. So the warranty on an Exos drive is three years. The warranty on this Seagate 16 terabyte expansion desktop is one year. So if you put in the serial number of the expansion desktop enclosure, you get a one year warranty on your Seagate account. If you shuck the enclosure and take the drive out and put the serial number of the drive into your Seagate account, or at least when I did, now twice, I get a three-year warranty on that. Doesn't mean that if I need warranty support, Seagate won't ask me some questions that I can't answer properly down the road, so your mileage may vary. Uh, You know, this is – I'm just telling you what I've done to save a little bit of money, but – but yeah, and plus it's fun. I mean, it's not really fun, but it's sort of fun getting a drive and shucking it because you get an extra power supply and a USB-C cable or no USB-3 cable, I should say, not USB-C. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can put that into your you know into your box of cables that you never throw away. So that's exciting. So 300 bucks for a 16 terabyte enterprise class drive. Like I said, I bought two of them. I bought them each two weeks apart so that I would get different batches of drives. Um, so, you know. Like hopefully not having the problem that I'm having now. So anyway, that's uh, that, that was my cool stuff found contribution for today. So that's, that's what I got. And I think that's all we've got time for my friend. It's uh, it's time to, it's time to go. Thanks for listening. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's not quite time for me to get a replacement drive, but it may be soon. I'll have to look at my various drives. Be proactive, my friend. I think friend. they may be getting yeah. on three years. Well, I have them set. I have it set. Uh, Synology lets you uh, set the number of bad blocks uh, upon which it will warn you that something's wrong. And I think by default they set it to 50, Dave. I okay. set it to 1. Okay, yeah. Because to me, once there's one, uh, once the drive gets to the point where it identifies a block as bad... My experience has been that that does not, <laughs> the damage does not stop.
0: You know, I've got, so I've got a drive in my dad's disc station that, um, that has a, a, a certain number of bad blocks. I want to say it's 38. That number has not changed in a year, no? but okay. I've got a drive in my disc station here that like once a week I'm getting notifications saying the number of bad blocks has increased that's the like to your point that's where it's like okay it's got to go like no 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 i'm not interested in playing this game anymore so um yeah no bueno all right well it's time my friend thanks so much for listening everybody thanks uh for all your questions and your tips and your cool stuff found all the things that we love here thanks for visiting our sponsors Thanks for your premium contributions. I, we are at like an hour 30, so I'm not going to take your extra time today to read through the list of people to thank, but we will do that next week, I promise, uh, because it is super important to us. com slash premium if you want to learn more. And uh, go leave us a review. Go to com slash reviews and leave us a review on your favorite platform of choice. It, uh, it helps. It's good. You got anything to... Uh, to share there Mr. Braun before we're before we're out of here no nope. okay all good all right well folks thank you like I said uh, visit our sponsors thanks to our sponsors ero.com slash mgg lino.com slash mgg expressvpn.com slash mgg sunsoil.com slash mgg and of course our ongoing sponsors like barebones.com smilesopper.com slash podcast lots of others it's good it is good all right. Despite the network hiccups, John, I think we made it to the end. We did.
1: And Dave, especially in this day and age here, you're going to be traveling, right? Oh, no, I got to get on an airplane, oh. man. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now more than ever, uh, the one thing you definitely don't want to do, Dave, is you don't want to get caught.
0: up.